Welcome to season seven of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Are you passionate about leadership education? Do you want to expand your resource toolbox with practical strategies for teaching, learning, and program design? Then this is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Educator Podcast. I am Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And I'm Dan Jenkins, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And we are very excited for today's episode of the podcast. So in our seventh season here, we're shifting our focus just a bit to advancing the leadership education community of practice through exploring exemplary mentor-mentee relationships in the field and also learning from scholars who write or speak or develop mentor programs in higher education and, and other related spaces. So uh, we're asking the question, how do mentors help? leadership educators who are facilitating programs and conducting research and teach. Um, how does that mentor and mentee relationship help those uh, individuals to, to thrive and to evolve in their own spaces, right? So today we're lucky to have Dr. Stacey Blake-Beard and Audrey J. Morell. They authored the book, Mentoring Diverse Leaders, Creating Change for People, Processes, and Paradigms. The book fits in with our season theme of mentoring and was one of the first suggestions we wrote down. So I'll share with y'all, I'm currently working on my uh, dissertation and a few years ago, my advisor handed the book to me when I was looking at professional relationships and developmental relationships. And so I've had the book oh, on my bookshelf for quite a while. And so I was excited about this opportunity. And so today we're kind of curious about the book, but then also curious about your relationships with mentors and mentees. So officially welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I think we're both delighted to be here because we get a chance to talk with you and to talk with one another. So thanks for the invitation. Oh, wonderful. Well, well, I'll start out with a question. Can you tell us a little bit about your roles at your respective universities? Sure. Um, so Audrey Morrell, I'm a faculty member, a professor in the School of Business. Um, I've been a professor at the University of Pittsburgh. This is going into my 34th year. Um, I started when I was two years old and uh, <laughs> I have a primary yes. appointment within the School of Business, but I'm actually a social psychologist by training. So I have a secondary appointment in the psychology department and also another appointment in the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs, which uh, dovetails uh, very well with the work that I do. Um, I've served in a lot of leadership roles uh, during that time period. I was the director of the Center for Ethics and Leadership. I was the associate dean for the undergraduate business program for a time and also served as acting dean of the University Honors College. And so, so I've seen this from both sides, not just in terms of the research and the uh, consulting and working with all different types of organizations on leadership development, but I've also seen it sitting in the chair of leadership. And one of my favorite things I get to do all the time is work with Stacey Blake Beard because she's just one of my trusted colleagues and, and she always pushes me to, to think differently about mentoring and leadership development, particularly in the context of diversity. Right. Well, that's, that's a great way for me to come in because I want to mirror what Audrey said, that we our relationship has been a pretty big deal in terms of the work that we do, the work that we did on the book, the work that we do individually in our own careers, and the work that we do together. So uh, just a bit about myself. I'm a professor of management at Tuck School of Management up at Dartmouth College. 
And I've had the pleasure of serving as faculty at Harvard's Graduate School of Education, Simmons uh, School of Management, uh, Mills College. And one of the most interesting places that I've had a chance to work was the Indian School of Business in Hyderabad, uh, um, India. And so the thing that, that I really love about this topic, and I've, again, served in a number of different uh, relationships in a number of different positions in the Academy of Management. I'm also an organizational psychologist. I'm an organizational psychologist by training. And the thing that I like about what we do is that I don't care where you are, you need it. <laughs> you need a mentor. You need access to mentoring relationships. You need to act as a mentor. And the, the thing that what Audrey and I do is that we talk across disciplines, across populations, across fields uh, that the, the cool thing about what we do is it's needed no matter where you are. And so that makes the work that we do together that much more, that much more um, engaging, that much more fun, that much more necessary. I love that y'all shared so much experience and it, both on the faculty side and through the administrative lens. I feel like that gives you that depth you need to approach this from a holistic perspective or just, just it can apply to anyone in higher education or in the work world. And Stacy, like you said, everybody needs it. Uh, it reminds me of a story. I had a colleague who she was a coordinator in student affairs and we were having this conversation and she was like, well, I, I don't need a mentor. And I was like, floored because I had the polar opposite belief. My mentors helped me get so many places. And then I thought about it and she had been in the same like entry-level role for about 13 years at that time. And I didn't have the heart to say it to her. And I wished I almost had this book and was like, no, honey, here, like you do need, you do need a mentor. Like you do need this work. Um, but it, it made me a little bit grateful too, that I could tell you who my mentors are and kind of the, the roles that they played in my life. And, and I was, I was fortunate. Um, Y'all talked about working, you're working together, your relationship. How did you two meet? I'm trying to remember it's gosh, it's been a while, probably through the Academy of Management, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we had two, two communities that I think were really pivotal for both Stacy and I, um, one of which is our professional organization that has different divisions. And I, I should say off the bat, I came to studying mentoring because of my interest in issues related to diversity and inclusion. And so mentoring as a solution to issues in terms of diversity, particularly when it comes to developing leaders. And so Stacey and I interacted in that professional association. And then there was a group of feminist scholars uh, who formed an organization called Nags Heart uh, that used to host annual conferences to provide an intensive experience where we could get together, uh, share information, share knowledge, share ideas in a safe, comfortable space. Because at that time, there were really not as many women, and particularly women of color, um, at the level within the professor ranks. Um, and so we would come together for these annual conferences, always at a beautiful location, and really have some amazing, intensive conversations. Um, that actually led to the first book that I ever did about mentoring came out of that conference. And so Stacey and I actually held a conference where many of the authors in the Mentoring Diverse Leadership uh, uh, Leaders book attended. And so it gave us an opportunity to get away from the traditional context and really to be have an intensive, focused conversation where you get amazing innovation, amazing idea generation, and amazing collaboration. And so those are the two things that I remember. Um, and ever since then, I, I follow Stacy wherever she goes. So. <laughs> It is we're going together as we do this work because uh, because you know as Audrey said I I remember our original connection as being through the Academy Academy of Management so this big organization 
for uh, for higher ed uh, professionals, and it's it's vast, and yet we found one another because of our participation in the diversity uh, um, division, and also the um, so gender and careers were, were um, our focus, and so having these different communities where it's not just uh, it's this valuable experience, this valuable relationship of of Audrey and myself, but it's also a larger context, and that's making it important. Uh, us making it, you know, to understand how critical uh, this work is, is, and I'm going to keep coming back to that because it is so criti critical, but to do work with Bell Rose Roggins and some of the other, and Kathy Cram and some of the other leaders in the field, we got to work with them and to be connected to them because of the research that we've done and the connections that we have with one another. Like we do the, the work part, but we also have the relationship part. And they're both important. As any look at mentoring relationships will tell you that you need both, right? The career and the psychosocial. So we've been fortunate that we like actually live the mentoring relationships that we talk about. We live them with one another and with scholars in our field. I think one of the other things that we've learned through that, it's reflected in a lot of the research and the work that we've done, both with organizations and also our writing, is the power of peer mentoring. Um, yes, sponsorship is important, but sponsorship takes a bunch of different forms in terms of who is actually opening doors and providing access and the resources. And I have to tell you, I have some powerful peer relationships that have been developed and cultivated over time. They seem I take a very relational approach not a transactional approach to mentoring, but a very relational approach. And so people want to know, how do you know the famous Stacey Blake? Well, we were peers that navigated through, um, you know, our career progression and grew together and collaborated. And so that power of peer-to-peer -peer mentoring is something that um, has really dominated a lot of the current work and some of the writing, a recent paper that Stacey and I published together with a colleague, also a peer, um, to be able to get us, particularly in the context of diversity and inclusion, to understand that that's a valuable source and to stop always looking hierarchical, even though that's important, but to look 360 degrees at all the different types of relationships that are going to be beneficial to you personally and professionally. Appreciate peer mentoring, as Audrey said, is only now starting to gain respect. I'm starting to do more work on that, the work Audrey and I did. Other places, particularly in higher ed, this understanding of how is it important that we look around. Because I have to tell you, some of the power dynamics in higher ed make it difficult to uh, look at mentoring up uh, and mentoring, you know, to uh, that, those uh, superior subordinate. I hate to even say it like that, but that's what it is. We don't call it that in higher ed, but that's that's very much there, right? And it makes me think about another point that as Audrey and I were talking, preparing for this conversation, one of the things that we believe is really important that's not getting enough attention, but that needs to is formal mentoring programs. When organizations, and we're seeing more and more of them, uh, interest and uh, calling to us of saying, hey, we want to start a formal mentoring program. Mm -hmm. In higher ed, that's really, really tough uh, because of the different power dynamics. And Audrey and I have oftentimes said, you know, if you're going to do it, do it right, because formal mentoring done poorly is, uh, it's it's not something you want to do. So Audrey and I really pay attention to that. And you'd see the peer mentoring there, but in mentoring, you have to pay attention to the power dynamics and that those are there as well. I love that y'all have brought this up because it was something that, and I had to play the ignorance card for sure, because Lauren and I, and, and we've in some ways been peer mentors with each other for, for many years. And I think that was something that I naturally sought out because 
if you are coming up with folks at the same time, maybe you uh, took jobs at the same time, if you're on the tenure track or what have you, I mean, you have that close knit group of people that, that you, you need to trust and they, and hopefully they also trust you and you find yourself bouncing ideas off of them. And you know, that, you know, you can talk about um, <laughs> relationships with, you know, uh, in the Academy and, and what have you, and that, and that things aren't going to go any farther than, than the room that, that they're in. And, you know, it was, I feel like those were so, I guess, unstructured, but they all, but they naturally emerged and like, you know, who you can count on, right. Within your, uh, I don't know, scope of, uh, of influence or or whatever you want to whatever you want to call it or and and these are the folks that you go to a conference and like they're getting the hugs right because like they're family they're not just co-authors or co-presenters it's a, it's a different level I, I guess I'd be curious about and uh, I, Lauren and I are, are, are chatting with each other and I'm thinking about oh I'm gonna go off script here but you know the peer mentoring piece is so is so interesting to me because I hadn't necessarily thought about those types of relationships as actual like mentoring relationships right and who's the mm-hmm. who gets to be mentor who gets to be mentee does it depend on who's talking and who's listening and what the context is I'd, i wonder like what structural um, components you've you've seen to be successful there and is this something that um individuals will kind of just naturally kind of evolve into or have you seen more formal entrance into a peer mentoring relationship what do you think because i have my thoughts but... you, you know i think it's it's a, it's a couple of things um one um these lateral relationships have always existed right? So the fact that we haven't studied them doesn't mean that they haven't already always existed. They've existed in professional networks, which we've known for a long time, have a great deal of, of power. They've especially been important in the context of diversity and inclusion for those, for those populations that have been left out and have been denied access. And so de- being denied access to those powerful senior individuals, what we've seen is organically through everything from employee networks to um, formal organizations, both Stacy and I belong to um, the sorority. She picked the wrong one, but <laughs> and and those are powerful. We, and, and we're developing such amazing analytic tools to be able to track these relationships and and particularly these lateral and let's even talk about reverse or downward mentoring relationships over time. Some of the doors that have been very powerful in my career were opened by former students of mine, which technically is a reverse mentoring relationship. And so I think that the part of the issue isn't that these didn't exist before, but it's getting us out of this really narrow lens that we tend to apply um, to this myth of a perfect mentor that knows all, sees all, opens the door, anticipates what I need, is all powerful, Yes, if you have one of those, that's great, but that's that's not sufficient. It's like going to a buffet and only eating the fish. You are really not taking advantage of the amazing array. And I think that there's a special place for peer-to-peer mentoring in the context of diversity. And it's in this thing that Stacy and I talk and, and work with organizations a lot about, and it's this notion of psychological safety, is providing a safe space to do identity work to talk about how you address issues of, of, of not being the same as the other people that you see around them, of, of, of this notion about what does inclusion mean from my experience, about having voice, which is also part of psychological safety, and being able to do the work of identity. What does it mean for me to be a leader, to be a faculty member, to a member of this organization where a lot of people don't have my background, a lot of people don't look like me? How do I find my place and my role and create an impact. And who can I talk to where there's trust and a safe space to have that conversation 
which we found in the work that we've done with organizations is really important for leadership identity and leadership development. It, it is identity work, and it is particularly important when you start talking about for women and people of color. You know, Audrey, what you were saying made me think about, uh, Dan, your original kind of question made me think a, a couple things. So one, as Audrey said, this is, it's been here, right? We're start, starting to study it. And Dan, you asked the question about, is it organic or are there programs or how does this come about? And it's both, right? So there's some where, you know, you're, you are uh, put in a program and a well-run program can be quite effective. But for the most part, it's that you find each other. You're brought together in the psychological li literature. We talk about similarity and attraction, that we are brought together because of that similarity. Now, here's the deal with really um, with building our network of support is that there's the concept of being an echo chamber and a really good peer mentor does not do the echo chamber thing where they come in and they say just what you want to hear uh, and they and they uh, um, just repeat back what it is that you are. Stacey won't um, do that asking. for me. I've tried. She won't do that. <laughs> well, I won't do it for her. She won't do it for me either. She's one of the uh, the best people who she, uh, Audrey, knows me personally, but she also knows our context. And you don't have people who do both. Either they know you well, and they don't know the context, or they know the context and they don't know you well. So a peer mentor is a very special role. And part of it is developed, right? It's 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 not something that you automatically come into. Ooh, but when they're done well, they're so powerful. Like I said, Audrey knows both the person and the context. And with the peer mentor relationship, that's oftentimes the case is that they're this holding and that there's not an echo chamber. You need somebody who's really willing to tell you the hard things, who's willing to tell you what you need to do to grow and to challenge you and to push you and to let you know where you have support and to let you know, watch out there, right? Okay, so, so peer mentoring can be this very special place where you don't have an echo chamber uh, if the person you trust is really there with you 100%, you know? That's valuable. Let me give you a program example of that before um, we, we move on. It was a program that, that Stacey and I, another colleague, um, developed years ago. We actually published some research. We embedded a research project in this um, diverse leader pipeline development program. And we had both elements. We had um, a, a senior person of color who was their senior mentor, all outside of their organization, but we put them into peer groups and then we followed them for a year. There was a lot of um, uh, professional development workshops and things that we designed as part of this. I, I always call this program, Stacey knows this, our gold, my gold standard. When anybody says, how do you do it right? This was the time that I had with two of my favorite colleagues to actually, people just basically opened up the, the playbook and let us write it from scratch. And so we followed them uh, across that year period. And we found that there was a lot of richness in those peer-to-peer -peer relationships. Yes, there was value in that hierarchical uh, uh, mentoring relationship, but there was so much richness in that peer-to-peer. -peer. Now, fast forward over a decade later, I was associate dean for the undergraduate program, and I was in New York on a site visit with some students, and I was visiting uh, one of our alum, um, and he was talking, he had, he had invited us into the boardroom, and we were sitting there talking with the students, and he said, oh, I want you to meet the head of our foundation. I think that you have a lot in power. And in walks one of the participants from that program that I hadn't seen in over a decade. Stacey remembers that I called her, you know, after that and was just screaming. I said, I got to catch up with her. 
And I said, tell me what you've been doing in the past decade since you were in that program. And she said, it was great. Uh, she got such great advice from, from that senior mentor that we assigned her. But she said, that peer group that you gave me, we have stayed together over this decade. We pick a place, a different location every year, make sure we have face-to-face -face contact. We know each other. We provide advice, sometimes supportive, sometimes critical to, to Stacy's example. And we've seen ourselves through career changes. We have made connections to one another and we are still together a decade. That is the power of peer-to-peer -peer mentoring. And, and she was the head of a major global foundation. Can you imagine having that person now in your mentoring network that you've risen together over that decade and are now in a positions where you can open doors and provide collaborations? That was one of my favorite um, projects that was both practice and, and research that I got to do together with Stacy, And it, it, it taught me a lot. I wonder if folks are aware of that, meaning, so when, when Dan and I were planning for our season, you know, we started talking about it and I was kind of like, well, look at us. You know, I didn't want to go to this big national conference because I was scared. There's 8,000 people there that would, I, and granted, I like large public institutions. I've always worked at institutions like 40,000 and up. Um, but I didn't want to go because I felt like that conference was too big and I was going to get swallowed up. And Dan is, you know, we're talking and he's like, oh, you know, I go. And I'm like, all right. So so I go and it's all the same people that I'd been seeing at these other conferences. That community was there, too. But but that peering concept made me think about the advice you get from your colleagues, where, again, that there's not this power dynamic that there is when you when the person's your manager or you're their manager. Um, I wonder if though if we if it, if people are aware of it and its power just meaning that um you talked about kind of naming or labeling it it's always existed but it hasn't been named or labeled i wonder if people are are very are aware of what's happening organically um and if there's a need to label it i mean i think that that as audrey said it's always been there. And how is it that we start to put that out there? You know, what I find is when, uh, and I'm sure that Audrey and I both as uh, management, uh, but also psychologists uh, and as real um, people who care about mentoring, uh, but also the work. And I have this thing where I'm looking and you see somebody have the aha, you know, they're like, oh, that's what that is. It has a name. Like I've known it, but I didn't know that it had this name or that it was this concept or, you know, that that it it had this meaning. And so what I love about the work that we do is we see a lot of, oh, the ahas, the aha moments when we do this. And that's why it's helpful to um, give the concept some, you know, uh, a term, give it a way of holding it and framing it. Uh, not that it's that it's new, but you can have the ah, oh, ho, oh, you know, aha moment where then you can think about how do you utilize this relationship differently. Wow, okay, this this is real. And oh, I, I could actually do this and you can be purposeful about it while not being exploitative. Really, really, really important. Audrey and I both feel this is that you don't exploit, that mentoring, whether it's peer or whether it's hierarchical, is not about exploitation. And that's why in terms of naming it and figuring out how to, how to, adapt it and actually use it, you don't want to exploit. I think, I think Stacey, you're spot on with that, particularly about that exploitation issue. And, and I, I think that the, 
that the reason why we're now talking about peer mentoring more, I mean, two things I think were game changers for that conversation. We were having the conversation, we knew the experience personally, but in terms of research and practice in organizations, I think two things were game changers. Um, one, we got, we're got, we've gotten better at measuring it. We have such great tools, such great research design and analytic tools. We have social network methodology. Um, Stacey is, is, is quietly converting me to a qualitative researcher. I'm going kicking and screaming, but, but I'm going. And, and so we have such robust tools in our toolkit now that maybe we didn't have you know, 10 or 20 years ago to be able to, to quantify and to be able to use powerful analytics and data that's grounded in research and practice to be able to say, this is the impact of peer mentoring. And, and, and so being able to have those measures and that evidence of impact. So when we work with organizations, we're not talking to you about our opinion. We're talking to you about the data. And here's the data, some of which we've helped to produce. And I think the other thing that has been a game changer is the conversation about access and inclusion and that, and that opening up. Um, the 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 access to closed networks, to closed groups. You know, there's always been, you know, we talk about the old boys club. Well, that's really a peer network. That's exactly what that is. And now at a certain age, I'm part of the old girls network and it's very powerful. And so opening up access to closed networks and closed resources and closed associations and, and the push to, to opening up access has opened up this conversation about peer mentoring and other types of mentoring when before we didn't talk about it because we were left out. Certain segments were left out of those closed networks. And now not only are we not left out of those closed networks, we're developing networks that that, that have embedded in them this goal of diversity and inclusion. Yeah, these are these are just such fascinating observations. And, and you know, I think a lot about and have have a great colleague I would consider a peer mentor too, uh, Lisa Endersby, who I co-edited a, a column with around pedagogy for the for our International Leadership Association. And she does a lot of her research on communities of practice and really kind of opened my eyes to to some of the I guess the intricacies and kind of the network and the systemic nature of communities of practice and how those evolve and proliferate and create opportunities for access and why things like member communities, affinity groups, and things like that can be so powerful. I mean, I think about my own entrance into the field and some of the most, I guess, probably cathartic conversations and people and and uh, events that led to other types of collaborations and relationships and scholarship or, or what have you have been through, well, we're like, there's something like-minded about us, whether it's our role or our interest or our passion or what have you. And here we are sitting in the same space. And of course, you know, we've, we we've done the uh, match.com already right like we're in we're speed dating now because like you know out of the the whatever the assessment was there's enough in common that here we are face to face or or what have you well stacy i think we have two more converts <laughs> i think we've i think we've moved them over success <laughs> love <laughs> it i love it and i love it too it's so it's so interesting too and I, you know it's uh, i've seen things i guess i've never really thought about like why why does that work? Why does that? And and I guess as someone who's also like a social scientist thinking about, okay, well, why do people organize? How do people organize? And so, right, you organize around to fill needs, but also people tend to gravitate to, to folks that are like them, but it doesn't have to be about things that you can see. And most of the time in professional associations, it's not about things that you can see. It's about what your interests are and what you're, what you're passionate about. And I've seen, and it was a, um, an integral part of an experience that we also do through our, uh, 
through that same International Leadership Association. There's a program that I facilitated and Lauren took part in last year called the Leadership Education Academy. And we do affinity groups. It's a smaller group. It's just 80 participants, but we have 10 facilitators. But the 80 participants are put into what we call affinity groups. And we we ask them a lot of questions on the front end so that we can put people that are like mid-career student affairs professionals. They can be together. But you know what happens is they develop peer, peer mentoring relationships. And I think that was, inten- I think it's intentional, right? Like these things evolve and it's so beautiful to watch people or to see them run into them at conferences and they say, hey, I attended this event in 2015 or 2017. I still stay in touch with the people at my table. You know, here's a picture of us. We all just went and had a drink together and we should have invited you, you know, type of thing. I just, I, I, I love that y'all are talking about this and and naming it. And I think that it's, it's maybe it's an underexplored or under uh, identified resource, um, an opportunity in the field. Yeah. Yes, I, guess. I think a couple of, let me throw a couple of things out there and, and all this, you know, as you're talking, I'm, I'm replaying all the conversations Stacy and I have had over the years of, of, um, about this. And I think a, a couple of reasons why, you know, and I'm, I'm hearing it in all the examples that you all have been sharing about what makes peer mentoring part of a powerful portfolio. I don't want to downplay how important the other, but, but there's a couple of things that are real special. We've talked about psychological safety and that notion that the power dynamics that sometimes, particularly in the context of diversity, get in, in the way. Um, and you're not impression management. You, you know, you're not concerned about how you're being viewed and judged as much in lateral relationships. So that power dynamic that Stacy mentioned is really important, particularly in the context of diversity and, and, and inclusion. There's also great work on knowledge sharing that goes on in peer to peer um, because you are are both learning, you're both um, um, uh, trying to develop, trying to understand, trying to create, and there isn't that performance anxiety that if I don't perform and I'm being judged by someone who's much more senior, how is that? And so that that knowledge sharing and knowledge transfer is much freer um, that we've seen in, in a lot of the programs that we've designed for organization. And then the other thing that that we, we wrote about fairly recently is that that has been so cool. And Stacey's talked about this in some of her earlier work on diversity, but it, it's about sense making. And what peer-to-peer mentoring does is they help you make sense out of the environment. One of the most difficult things I found throughout my career is how to understand feedback, how to how to understand sometimes things are said to me. And I and and I I'm I'm frozen about a response. I don't know if that's an insult or not. I don't know exactly how to filter that feedback. I don't understand whether or not the feedback is sincere or not. Whether or not I should do this or not. And so making sense out of an environment, particularly when you're one of fill in the blank in that environment, where do you go to help in that process of sense making? And if there's one thing that I have valued the most in my career are I call them the late night 10 p.m. conversations with Stacy. When one of us will text the other and say, I just need to talk to you I, I, because this thing happened. I had this conversation with the senior person. I had this interaction and, and, and it's our sense-making conversations. It's perspective, it's context, it's all the things that she talked about. And it's being done in a safe space where you can share knowledge and, to, and you help each other co-navigate the things that you are having that might be uniquely an experience, particularly for us as women of color. 
And so I think that sense making is one of the things that we've seen in some of the programs that we've designed is very special in terms of peer to peer. And Stacey, you can, you know, those late night conversations when I'm calling you and I'm like, okay, I, I don't know what happened here. You got to help me figure this out. Right. Saying 10 p.m. Let's talk about 1 a.m. So, it's so, I mean, I think the, 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 one of the advantages here is not only that it's, it's us helping one another or looking at the, how that happens in uh, peer mentoring. It's that you get off that phone call and then you go out and you interact differently in, in the system. So one of the biggest things that I've seen is the imposter syndrome, which is still there, which we would think is not there, but it's still there where you feel like, oh, I don't belong here. I shouldn't belong here. I, I, I don't know how this happens. And even as you move further up the ladder, there can still be those moments when you're like, what am I doing here? And so to have a place where you can go we can ask questions where you feel like you're not being judged. And you can also be assured that you belong here. You know, you absolutely belong here. Um, because again, what I appreciate is you get off of these conversations, you move away from the relationship that, where there's that bonding and you're strengthened. And you take that and you impact, you reach out and you are helping those people, the students that you have, you're helping the peers in that context that you have, you're giving wisdom to your senior folks, right? And so what I love is that the sense-making that the peer mentors that we do with each other has an impact because we take it and we immediately use it, immediately use it. Okay, so beyond the fact that this is 1 a.m. and not 10 p.m., <laughs> we can say that this all of these benefits. Uh, and th the, the thing that's important to me about leadership is that it's never just one level. So Audrey and I will talk about micro level, meso level, macro level, and that with mentoring, it touches each, the individual, the group, the organizational, even the societal, right? So we can look at these different levels and how when you have really effective mentoring that you see uh, tapping into or touching all of those levels and that that's done with support, that you know that you can do that, that you have ways that you can do it and uh, and that you receive the affirmation, confirmation that yes. we oftentimes don't get, that we don't get. Say like, oh, yes, I didn't, uh, Audrey does this all the time. She'll talk about something I've never thought about in that way, never. And I was like, wow, she broadens horizons. I can start to think differently. It encourages me to think differently and our organizations benefit as a result of that. Okay. So Absolutely. that's a big deal that, that it not only impacts the um, individual, it has organizational level impact as well. I, I got to throw in there too. One of the things, and Stacey and I know this from all the work we've done coaching um, organizational leaders that we don't really talk about is how isolating leadership can be that, you know, that, you know, and I, I remember that from sitting in, you know, in the, in the role that I had as acting dean, there were just some things I couldn't talk to people about. And so I've got to have some protected relationships where there's that safe space and that trust where, um, where we can say, we, in fact, we don't even have to say that. We know that whatever gets said in those 1 a.m. conversations stays, right? But you can talk to someone where you can, um, and this is so important for leaders to be able to, um, to, to do some work about how do you challenge yourself? And there's great um, research that shows that the ability for leaders to make really impactful strategic decisions has something to do with the diversity of the network that's the closest to them. And so having that that's built over time where you've risen together, particularly as peers, 
provides that strategic network that helps you as a leader to not feel isolated, to have trusted safe spaces, to have privileged conversations that help you and sometimes challenge you in terms of your thinking about how you are managing in the leadership role. And again, that leadership as isolating is something that we don't talk about, but it's come up in all of the, the, the organizational uh, programs that we've developed in a lot of our coaching of leaders. You know, it makes sense that you say that the leadership piece feels isolating. It reminds me of like a, like heroic leadership where we feel like one person is in charge, one person has to do the job. And, and so I can't ask for help. And, and it makes me think like, well, you know, Captain America still had the Avengers and, and all of these people who still had a team behind them that they went to and led and but went to for support. Uh, my conversations are 3.30 in the afternoon with my best friend who teaches yeah. at Flor in Florida. I think it's at, I always confuse FAU and I, F, FIU and FAU. She loves me though. But it's those same conversations where you're protected and that you can vent and get it out of your system. And then after you do that, they kind of give you this check like, okay, you're, you're wilding a little bit or, okay, no, you're right on target. Or have you checked your faculty manual to see mm. if there's a policy that applies to this? You know, and those are those valuable conversations that unfortunately, like, you know, I can't call my parents and have that because they don't, they aren't in the academy or I can't call my sister, she's in corporate America. You know, and so it's those valuable time-based conversations that help you make meaning and make sense of, of what you're hearing. Um, can you talk a little bit more because you, you about like the diversity of the diverse leaders? You've shared some things that have applied to all, but in, in your book, it's it's centered on like diverse leaders. So can you talk a little bit about what, what y'all meant kind of by that term? I'd go for it. Yeah, you know, I think that, so one of the things that, um, that Stacey always pushes me on is process. And so if we start talking about diversity, um, that it ought to be in our process. And so one of the things that was very intentional about that book that we edited were the voices that we included. It is really um, the, just an amazing array of different disciplines and perspectives um, about mentoring. And that was very intentional as part of how we recruited the authors to be part of that. Um, because when we talk about mentoring diverse leaders, we can't do that um, picking up the same old tools using the same old approaches because they really were not designed with many segments of diverse leaders in mind. And so we really, um, and there were a couple of, of, of chapters and, and uh, uh, that had uh, theoretical perspectives that I'm not all that familiar with. And so we were editing chapters. It pushed us, it pushed me. I remember Colin says, I'm like, I don't really understand what this is. You know, I don't know this particular theoretical paradigm and you know I'm not a qualitative researcher. And so it actually was the strength of our collaboration that in areas where I was not strong, you know, Stacy weighed in and, and vice versa. But the process of putting that together of bringing different and sometimes divergent voices is how knowledge and innovation really has its power. And that was very important, the process. Um, and also that if we were gonna write about mentoring, that mentoring was going to take place in the context of those chapters. So there are many students, graduate students and things of, of the life that were involved in those chapters as a developmental experience for them as well. So the book didn't just talk about mentoring diverse leaders, and it didn't just talk about inclusion. The way and the process we went about in terms of the authors, the process we went about, who was at the table in terms of the authors, and the, the perspective that they brought had to reflect the title, and that was very intentional. 
I think what was uh, what I appreciated about the book was the opportunity for us to bring our mentors to the table, right? So Audrey talked yes. about that there were all these different people and that we were very purposeful about how we selected uh, the authors that we invited. Um, but there were a couple who whose work shaped the field and who we uh, both have followed uh, as, as models for us to um, help shape our work, who we go to for perspectives and opinions. And guess what? We, we offer them some, we offer them uh, some, um, some guidelines, some ways to think. And so I love the reciprocity, <laughs> <laughs> the reciprocity <laughs> of it. Right. And to see somebody who you, whose work you followed since you were a grad student to be honored, to be part of our book and to um, say that they learned from us. That's just to me, mind blowing that we that we had an influence on our mentors, right? That not only did we invite them to be part of the book, but that we gave them something. So the the reciprocity piece is really important. Yeah, you know, thinking about about that and and the approach that that y'all took, and and it and it's interesting that y'all took an interesting uh, a similar per, I guess approach or per, perspective to talking about mentoring, like right in the sense making process of just uh, and meaning making around. We, ha we have to think about our own mentor-mentee relationships to explore mentor and menteeing from a, I mean, oh, here comes the qualitative research again, right, uh, Audrey, the positionality. Like, Handed mean... it to Stacey. Handed <laughs> it to Stacey. <laughs> and so, you know, just thinking about, about that, it's such an important part of it. And so, like, Lauren and I similarly, I mean, and it was always like, oh, well, we want to bring in, like, our own mentors too, right? Like, we have to talk about that, both, I think, because you know, it's okay to be vulnerable about that, but also because that's going to help us to explore this phenomenon and, and make some more, some more sense about it. And I think that that, that can be, um, that can create some, I don't know if it's, I guess it, 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 it enlightens that curiosity for us and, and helps us to, to develop further. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm curious, like, were those some of the challenges that were explored or were there other challenges that, that you explored related to mentoring that were highlighted in the book? Like how did that evolve? You know, it's a really good, I mean, it's a, it's a tough question. I think that um, the who and the how was, I, I think we start off and in, in, in Stacey, you know, chime in. And I think once we figured out the who and the how, the what took care of itself because we put that in the hands of the, you know, of the authors and what we really wanted to do. Um, Stacey and I have been involved in, in other projects where we were contributors. And so we had some conversations about what we liked and what we didn't like about how editors handle that process. Um, and so we, and so when I'm, when I'm saying we were really intentional about some things, it was to not replicate um, some, you know, you know, the, the academic process can be a little soul crushing. Um, you know, when you, you know, I, I remember my very first publication, I got feedback and one of my longtime mentors, um, who's a, a, a amazing African-American psychologist. And I remember I got the reviews back and I threw them, I threw the paper all over the office room. And I just sort of, I sat there and I was in full pout when she walked in and she, and she looked around, she saw the papers on the floor and she said, oh, you must've gotten a review back. <laughs> she said, okay, pick up the papers. Let's go and talk and Stacy and I talked about how that process particularly uh, for emerging scholars particularly for scholars who are pushing the envelope could be very um uh, just disheartening and and that we didn't want to replicate you you know one of our favorite uh, uh writers always talks about not you know using the master's tools and and replicating oh, it yeah. and so if we were really going to do transformational work 
how we did it and who was at the table had to matter as much, if not more, uh, than the than what the table of contents looked like. And so we 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 had to have people feel included and heard and and not stifled and not abused and and not to replicate some of what we've been through as we've tried to navigate and try to sometimes push the envelope and come up with different things and then get hateful feedback that was not helpful. It was just really tragic. And 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 we talked about that a lot, a lot in this process. Yeah, I think Audrey, what you just did that I appreciate is that we don't want to replicate what's outside and that we've experienced some of that. So this is some of the dynamics of formal mentoring. It's that as you start to grow, uh, that you might move outside of the mentor's kind of expectation of who you are, who you should be. There are these dynamics that happen as the as the as the duration of the relationship goes on and as you move through different phases, right? And so looking at the separation that can happen and how is it that you come back from that separation, we look at the different phases of mentoring is could be really, really, really quite challenging. This kind of moving apart from one another. And do you come back together with redefinition or do you say, hey, it was nice knowing you, right? And so that part is one thing to do it with the with the book. And it's one thing, another thing to be doing it in your relationships. And Audrey and I talk about both. So we talk about what did we want to do with the book? And then we also talked about how do we want to navigate this in our careers and how, again, as peer uh, um, mentors with one another when there was something going on in a relationship and you needed feedback I could go to her and I say hey this you know what's going on here and she could give me feedback right away that helped me navigate other relationships and so there's what we wanted to create and then there's what we lived as well and what other scholars live too and how do you navigate that got to tell you a little bit of inside baseball with with Stacy and I she does this thing that that drives me crazy because it drives me crazy and it works she actually keeps a journal of you know when we're working together on different projects and things like that and whenever we have um and that that journal has two things in it you know points at which we've had to wrestle with something or we've had conflict that we've had to resolve and how we resolved it and then also really amazing innovations and insights we've had from the collaboration. And she's kept this for, you know, for years. And so, and it used to drive me crazy because when something happens, she's like, wait, I have to write this down. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, you know, but, but I have to tell you, you know, there've been times and there were times through the book and through other projects that we've done where we've gone back to that and said, wait a minute, you know, let's, let's learn from our own science. Right. And what's funny about the Stacey's, I'm actually doing this project with some colleagues here uh, at Pittsburgh about team science. And part of the team science, which is really, is about how teams and collaborations learn and understand the science of their collaboration. And I'm thinking there's a name for it and you've been doing it with us for the past two decades of our collaboration, but, but learning something about how to create uh, an inclusive process, but one that's not afraid to push the envelope that's not afraid of conflict. And, and that is, that's challenging sometimes in hierarchical mentoring relationships because of that power dynamic. But in peer relationships, we could do that and capture it and learn from it. And that, that's one of the things that, that Stacy's done for us um, in our collaborations and our, our friendship that I didn't quite understand when she first started doing it, but now it has a term for it. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh, yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you for sharing that, Audrey. I have a client who does that. Every decision he makes, he writes down what was going on and why he made the decision so that if he has to go back and attest for it, he doesn't remember off the top of his head. He remember, he can look at his notes and see that. Uh, and it's interesting. Some of the things that y'all have recommended are things that we would share with our students, like in leadership uh, education, we talk a lot about journaling and reflection and stuff like that. And here y'all are modeling that in, in your practice and working on this, this space. So it's always refreshing to hear that some of the things we offer for our students to make them better, we have folks that are successful in their fields and they're doing those same, you know, foundational things. Um, so the last I question- I was speaking and screaming, but it works. I, I got I to gotta give Stacy credit for, 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 for making that happen. I was like, are you kidding me? And, she's, and no, she was, she was absolutely right. <laughs> my mom used to say uh beauty is pain or something like that so the the, the the outcome is beautiful however the process might be painful um, well just one last thing she uh there's a balance because i'm not the quant person i mean i could do it you get through a dissertation and you have to be able to do those and you know but it's never been uh a love of course i can do it but audrey loves it and so this, you know, so we bounce each other really nicely, <laughs> bounce each other really nicely in terms of uh, in terms of our strengths and how we complement one another. And again, that's kind of like you couldn't believe how um, critical and how comfortable it makes our relationship fun uh, once we can get past the what did that mean or why are you doing this and and trusting that there's a rational reason uh, and and so it just I like enjoy working with her I really do right it's very mutual and yes I do geek out on number numbers I will own that yes she does <laughs> <laughs> she does. <laughs> <laughs> so our final question before we wrap up um so you've gone through the process you've written this book you've curated you've read manuscripts thousands of times you know um how did your mentoring relationships changed after this piece was done was there something that you saw that was significant or a process that you changed as a result of of, of the the content in the book well that's a you know that's a good question a good question is it or with our mental issues with each other or with, with yeah. the others outside? Others outside. Uh, yes. You know what? This, this <laughs> um, doing the book made me uh, um, aware that mentors don't know it all, right? So we can sometimes hold them up on this pedestal. Uh, they don't know it all because some of what we learned we could share. Um, and that we pushed, we pushed mentors, we pushed them to grow and expand. And that felt good. So the book helped me to see that we can also hold our mentors. It's not just that we hold them too, and we could broaden horizons. And that to me was like, that was so cool coming from our book. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the things is, you know, bringing together such an amazing and diverse array of contributors um, was, was very powerful. And one of the epiphanies that, um, that we had when we were writing together with, you know, someone who's affected our career so significantly, Kathy Cram and writing the, the forward, is how much we've grown in this space in terms of understanding the science and the best practice around mentoring. There is science, there is evidence, you know, it's not just, oh, this is a warm, fuzzy relationship. It is a powerful relationship where we have evidence to understand the role that it plays with leadership development and diversity. And so one of the things Stacey and I have been spending a lot of time talking about is doing more to help organizations to stop doing mentoring light, 
stops to saying, okay, we're just going to do some mentoring stuff. I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's talk about purpose. Let's talk about design. Let's talk about data. Let's talk about, you know, how, how we engage people in the important work of mentoring, uh, because we know some stuff, right? And that was one of the things of pulling that book together and working with those authors is how much we know in the science and the best practice of mentoring. And so I, I would say that where we are in our, our phase is really trying to get organizations to stop doing damage with mentoring. Because when we don't do mentoring very well, particularly in the context of diversity and inclusion, we've seen some real problematic things that very often we get called in to fix. And, and so it's trying to get people to understand that there's science behind this, there's evidence on how to do this well, and we need to be talking to organizations, particularly in the context of diversity and diverse leader development, about doing mentoring better. It is a powerful and strategic tool where there's evidence of its impact, and it's time for us to recognize the science and to put science into best practice. And so that was one of the things that we took away, and I think it's a lot of the conversations that Stacy and I have been having lately. Share yeah. a lot of horror stories with each other. <laughs> I bet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, well, I, yeah, I think the, the the word for the day with this episode just fascinating. I mean, I, I have expanded my horizons around the understanding uh, of the field in science and mentoring exponentially. And and Audrey, Stacy, thank you so much for for your time Absolutely. today for joining us. We so appreciate and are so grateful for for y'all's time and your contributions to this field in, in science, right? Of mentoring and just wish you all the best this semester and be well. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you. Do you connect with leadership educators virtually? Please follow us on social media. Search the Leadership Educator Podcast on LinkedIn to find our page. And find us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod for episode release information, show notes, and upcoming events. You can connect with me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Leadership. And Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura JB. You can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. We also encourage you to please subscribe at leadershipeducator.com and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matt White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina. Check him out at mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, we are grateful for the support of two professional associations that are destinations for leadership educators, the Association of Leadership Educators and the International Leadership Association. ALE, which funded the start of the podcast, continues to promote our mission of continuing conversations with leadership professionals. Check out all that ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. The global reach of the ILA has helped us to expand our listenership beyond our original borders. Check out the ILA's programs and resources at ilaglobalnetwork.org.